Amen. Blessed be the hearers and readers and doers of God's word. I'm excited to um, be with you guys today because this is the kickoff of a new series. And, you know, with new series, we're coming into a new season. And I like in both new series and new seasons. I, knew, I like new beginnings and all the variety of different things. But new seasons for me oftentimes gives me times of contemplation, times of reflection. I, I begin to think about things and you know, a lot of different ways. And, um, and this is a, you know, a season like no other, you know, we're um, rounding out um, Thanksgiving, you know, moving into the Christmas season. And as we kind of move into the Christmas season, it's kind of, it points out a few things for me. One, it lets me know that we're firmly in basketball season. And, you know, I tell you guys oftentimes, like during this season, just expect me to be hoarse because I'm yelling at the refs and I'm the dad that's living vicariously through my kids and all of that while I'm there. And so like, I'm always going to be hoarse during the season. So that's one thing it always reflects me on. But it also um, causes me to reflect on the new year. Like I love the new year. That's probably one of my favorite times of it because it's just like, it just pictures like new beginnings, new birth. It allows me to, to dream and to hope about all the, the potential and possible things, you know, in the future. But more than any of those first two, uh, it's a time that we get the opportunity to reflect on the, the birth of Jesus, the advent of Christ. And, you know, and so this is always a great year and a great season, um, or a great time of the year and season for me because it is a time where we get a chance to, like, renew what, are we, what we're doing and why we do what we're doing. You know, and, and really it comes back to, to the fact of the person and work of Jesus, that he is the gift that God has given us. Right? He is the good news of our salvation. He is the reason, as they say, for the season. And so like Mitchell already mentioned, we talked about this idea of this new series and this new series that we're calling Vantage Point. And basically Vantage Point, we're just looking at just the idea of the good news of this great joy for all people, that this is good news. The fact that God became a man and he dwelt among us. He tabernacled. He spent time with us. He didn't scream from the heavens telling us what to do, but he came down and he became one of us and he became our great high priest. He became the very one. He who knew no sin became sin so that we can have a relationship and be reconciled to him. And this is good news. So basically, like we talk about, like over the next four weeks, we're just going to look at, we're going to look at just the different vantage points. Because some of you may be asking, but why do we name the series Vantage Point? And um, just kind of confessing um, up front, like one of the best movies are like concepts of a movie. Let me just say the best concept of a movie is a, a movie called Vantage Point. I don't know if you guys have seen that movie. Have you, who, by a show of hands, who have seen the movie Vantage Point? Vantage Point was made in 2008. And I, it's one of the, like, again, I'm not saying it's the best movie. But what I'm saying is, is that it's one of the, the concepts of the movie. I think I'm surprised more people didn't take what was going on and tried to make it. But the, in the movie Vantage Point, basically it's released in 2008 and it's the perspective of a presidential assassination. And the thing was is that they take about a 13 minute clip from eight different perspectives, eight different vantage points. And so at the very beginning, they take 13 minutes and they show you what's, what they say is taking over a 90 minute period of time. But in 13 minutes, they take that 90 minute section in 13 minutes and then they show us what happened when the president um, got assassinated from one vantage point. 
But then the next 13 minutes, it then goes and introduces us to a new character in the same period, and it gives us a different vantage point of that same 13 minutes or the same 90 minutes, but from a different vantage point. And what you perceive that you thought in the first, by the time that you get to the eighth person, it's totally, it blows your mind. You're just like, what I thought is totally something different. And so, like, again, whether it was executed well or not, but it was great in the, in the sense of the vantage point. So that's really what it was just like. I was like, guys, I got a great idea. This Advent series, why don't we take the birth of Jesus and look at it from a variety of different vantage points? You see that in my ingenuity, my beauty, and this, like, and all of that? I thought I would get a little bit more than that. But, but... That, that was. It was just like, I was like, what if we looked at it from the variety of different places so that we can get a more robust under, understanding of what we celebrate every year this Christmas season, um, the advent of Christ, which basically means the coming of our King, the coming of our Lord, right? And if that is true for you out there today, that this is a season that we ought to celebrate. And we ought to know, and we ought to desire to know the full perspective of the person and work of Christ. And again, now obviously that wasn't created in with the movie in 2008, Vantage Point. The Gospels actually saw this as so important that they took the person and work of Jesus and they showed a variety of different perspectives of what took place in Jesus' birth. And so we see here, like we're looking in the book of Matthew, we're going to see that this is coming from Joseph's perspective, like the birth of Christ from Joseph's perspective. But if you look at the book of Mark, Mark looks at it from more of a prophetic perspective and just looking at just um, what was coming in, in, in light of prophecy. But even if you look at the book of Luke, Luke looks at it from Mary's perspective and the gene genealogy comes through Mary. But then if you look at John, you see kind of the birth of Jesus through God's perspective. It says, in the beginning, God, he was Right, And so in each one, we see a variety of different vantage points that the gospel brings to this significant time. The reason why we celebrate every year the birth of our king, the coming of our king. And so, but not only do we see it in the gospels, but we also see it in other ways. We, we can see it not only from the gospel, from the gospel writers, but we can see it from the, the perspective of the shepherds. What would it have looked like for, you know, to be a shepherd, one of the shepherds, the three shepherds in that time, or looking from the three wise men, or looking at it from, again, today we look at the vantage point of Joseph or Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so in each one, what was that unique vantage point, and how does that bring out this story that we have come to celebrate each and every year to ultimately give glory to our God and King? So... That is what we're doing. The tagline of the movie Vantage Point was eight perspectives or eight strangers with eight point of views, but with one truth. And that's really what I want to uh, hope for us today is that even though we may come with four or five different perspectives, we will all be declaring one truth is that Jesus is God. He is our coming King and that he came to be good news to you and good news to me and ultimately good news to the world. So, and I know you have already turned there, but if you, again, if you haven't opened your Bibles, we are going to be looking at the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, Matthew 
chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 18 to 25. It's already been read. So let me just pray and then we'll jump right in. Father, we're thankful. We're grateful for this opportunity. Thank you for this season. We pray, Lord, as we begin to, to look at the beauty, Father, of the personal work of your son, Jesus. We pray, God, the Holy Spirit would illumine and enlighten and do his work, Father, as we see to do thy will on earth as it is in heaven. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. There's going to be three things that we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at, as we look at the story of Joseph, look at the story of Joseph. And when we look at the story of Joseph, we're going to look at Joseph's perception, his vantage point. We're going to be looking at Joseph's protection, what he, you know, what he was trying to do. And then ultimately, we'll be looking at Joseph's pursuit. Joseph's pursuit as he, from his vantage point, looking at the person and work of Jesus. In verse 18, it says this, as it reads, it says, the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. All right, so let's stop there. First, when we ever use any great story, right, no matter what story you like, your favorite stories, I guarantee that it has at minimum of five key aspects of every great story. That every great story starts off with kind of giving you an introduction or a summary statement, right? That it comes in and lets you know just kind of what's going on and just what's happening. It sets the context for you so that you can understand kind of, so you can begin to create meaning out of this story. So it first creates the context. The second thing that every great story does is that it introduces a conflict. There's always something wrong. There's always a problem. And the better the story oftentimes is the better that that conflict can resonate with human conflict, the conflict that you and I have that, you know, in everyday life. And so there's a story that resonates with a conflict that has a conflict. Right. And in that conflict that the, the third part of every good story then creates a rising tension. Like the, the, the people always make that conflict to a point where it's about to blow. Things are going to blow up unless we fix it. The world is about to end. I don't remember. I don't you know, like you the show 24. You ever remember 24? I was just like, how many times can the world be ending in 24 hours? Right. I mean, it was like every time, like if you didn't solve the world, Jack Bauer, if he didn't solve the world's problems or find that like the world was ending. Right. And it was like multiple times for eight seasons that eight times that he came and saved the day. How many times? And even in the I don't know if we consider this a Christmas story, but, you know, um, the other huh? not Jack Bauer's, the other the other story um, the, Die Hard. I don't know. It's, it's a Die Hard. They're arguing about if it's a Christmas story or not. But Die Hard, like in the same way, it's like how many times is he going to find himself in the right place at the right time that again, that if not, the world was going to like, but every, there's always this rising tension. So there was always this, you know, it was Christmas time. There was a conflict that these terrorists coming in and get the bill. There was a rising tension, not just terrorists, but the, these, these terrorists are going to rule the world because all of the world's power is in that building at that time. Right? And so there's always some rising tension that was going to happen at that time. But then after that, there would be a resolution. Right? The person would come in and kind of save the day and all of that, and then we would go live happily ever after. Right? It was just kind of like the conclusion. Right? So every good story, no matter how, take your favorite movie, just work it through that grid, it, you will see that plot line taking place. There's no difference in how the narrators in the Bible tell similar stories. So basically, in this very first section, we see it starting off saying the birth of Jesus Christ. 
came about in this way. And so really in verse 18, you're supposed to stop and recognize that this is setting up the context. This is the origin story. This is the beginning. They're setting a summary about what this is about. But what's interesting about this book is that this book has actually two origin stories. It has two origin stories that centered around the same person, but looking at it from a variety of different perspectives. The first one that we see comes in Matthew chapter 1 and 1. Right? In Matthew chapter 1 and 1, it says, On an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And basically what he's saying is like, let me explain to you what this story is about. This is about the, this is about the genealogy of Jesus Christ who came through the son of David, who came through the son of Abraham. That's significant, especially for the Jews, because Matthew's argument throughout the whole book of this gospel is that Jesus is the promised king, that he is the king. He is not only just the promised king, but he is the promised king that has been prophesied all the way back from the Proto-Evangelion, which is a fancy word, which is from Genesis chapter 3, when sin entered into the world, he says that, that God said that there would be a man who will crush the serpent's head, right? He will bruise his heel but crush his head. That he was the same king that was prophesied about in Genesis chapter 12, when, God, when the people's like, hey, I know God said there's all types of way to get to him, or I know that People say that there's all types of way to get to him, so let's build up our own Tower of Babel. But what does he do? He confuses the languages, he divides the people, and then he says, Abram, I'm going to use you, and through you, I'm going to bless you. So it's that same person that he's referring to, that he's the fulfillment of this promise. It's the same promise of the king, that he says that he will be both in the line of of, of David, of the king, the inaugurated king. And so we see at the very beginning, he says, this is a story. Matthew, he's the king. He's the king, that the promised king, all the way from the Proto-Evangelion, all the way from the promise of Abraham, all the way from the, the king that we've been waiting for. Here's the story of Jesus. And so from the beginning, it starts off, it says, this is the origin story. Let me set some context for you, because that what, that's what the Jews were waiting for. They were waiting for their anticipated king. They were waiting. And so what we see in the first 17 verses, as I was thinking about preaching through that, but I thought you guys may not like that. But when they, when they, when they go through the 17 verses, you just say, hey, this, we got that. And you see basically 17 verses of just simply the lineage of Christ. What you see is 28 generations of people after people after people, which all comes to this pivotal moment. But it doesn't, it's interesting that the book of Matthew does, it doesn't end with specifically Jesus right there at the end in verse 17, but it ends kind of with Joseph. That all those lines, and he's just like, where did he come from? How did Joseph get in this. And so you have this. And so in there, we see this story that starts with Jesus and the promised one who ends with Joseph. And we recognize now that Joseph is now introduced as the father. He's the father of Jesus, right? And so he comes. And so then, but he says, but let me just make sure that even though Joseph plays a significant part, this is not a story about Joseph. He then comes and says, let me reintroduce the origin story, the birth in verse 18, of Jesus Christ came about this way. 
So let's get re-centered and let's get refocused that Matthew is very clear from the beginning that this story is all about Jesus, the birth of Jesus. But Matthew explains the story in a way that even though it's about that it's about the birth of Jesus, it is from Joseph's vantage point and the significant of Joseph within this and, it, and specifically Joseph's perception. Right. And I think it's really important for us to understand that because this is very important because you've heard the statement that perception is reality. And how we perceive and our perspective or our vantage points ends up forming and shaping kind of how we view the world, which shapes how we interact with the world and how we act in the world. Right. I don't know if some of you guys have ever lived in a small town. Who's from small, like us would consider a small town. Right. Um, I'm, I'm not been from a small town, but I'm going to act like I've been for a minute. But, you know, but it could be a small town or a tight-knit community or anything that you have in that way. But in a small town, it, it, sometimes it feels like everybody knows your business, right? Like, it's, you know, for those in small town, just nod or say no, if, just, just to give me affirmation that I can keep going, if not. Um, but everybody knows your business, basically. Everything, everyone is kind of like talking about you, gossiping about you, and kind of know that he knows him, and everybody's best friend knows something about. So if you know one thing, I mean, like you realize kind of like your decision-making kind of impacts other people in a lot of ways that like in this small-time mentality, it teaches us that we don't live life in a vacuum. Like we don't live life, that our decisions impact other people for one, for good reasons and bad reasons, for good ways and not so good ways, right? But it, it shows us to some degree and in a healthy sense, it shows us and begins to show us the importance, that life of, of, of our individual lives and how significant we are, that we are both fearfully and wonderfully made, that we matter, that we belong, that we're significant, that we have a, that we have a, um, a role to play in this society, right? But then, so on one end, it's kind of like looking from a small town perspective. But the, I think the other perspective I think people need to, vantage point that people need to look at is from kind of, from the view of an airplane. How many of you guys have rode on airplanes and got the window seat or asked the person next to you to roll up the window so I can see, right? But like from the vantage point of the plane, you see and you look down, especially as you begin to land, you're like out of the clouds, you're beginning to land and you're looking out and you start seeing like all the thousands upon thousands of people. Like the, the cars look like those miniature like, you know, toys, you know, like Hot Wheels back in the day that you used to have. And then the houses look like those the pieces on Monopoly. You know, it's just like everything that when you're so close to it is so big and so large. But when you're up in the sky, you're just like thinking about, man. And then you start thinking like, I'm only one in a billion person. And then you start thinking about, man, I'm so in, you know, in an unhealthy way, sometimes like I'm so insignificant. I'm like, do I really matter? And so you have, and you begin to wrestle with this polarity right? That on one end, life can seem like it's all about you, but on the other end, it's like, it's not about me at all. And this is what we're seeing in the story of Joseph, that here we have this story that is all about Joseph, but it's not about Joseph at all, right? That he plays a significant portion, he plays a significant role that he creates that. But the thing is, is that from Joseph's perspective, we can understand and we can learn that in both of those perspectives, we, we, from both of those vantage points, is we can learn some things, right? 
that in a small town, that it's, all, it's, not, it's all about you, but from a plain that it's also not about you. Joseph's vantage point reminds us that it's all about us, but it's not about us at all. That we are both fearfully and wonderfully made. He knows the very hands of our hands, but he also recognized that the we is always greater than the me. And we are not God's gift, sole gift to society. Jesus is. Right. And so in here we recognize and we come and we live each and every day with that tension, with that reality. And so he starts off and sets up this background. of He starts with the, the summary. Right. It's kind of giving us this background. But then he introduces a problem. And what is the problem? Part of it is Joseph's perspectives. Ultimately, you know, if we don't if we're not careful, Joseph, like Joseph, his perspective could actually become at odds to accomplishing God's will. Even Joseph's pursuit of righteousness can become at odds with God's will. Why? Why, did I, why do I think that? Because again, let's go back. The, he, he opened this up with just the, the origin, right? The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. And it says, after his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph. So Joseph is married. I'm not married. He is engaged to be married, right, to, to Mary. But in the midst of this engagement period, Joseph, it was discovered that before they came to have any relationships with one another in the most intimate way, they came together and she was pregnant. She was pregnant. Not only was she pregnant, she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So I know, I know, yeah, right. Like I know a lot of us, like we're real spiritual. We're like, and we're just like, here, here we go. Like you about to get married with your fiance. You know, you about to, yeah, yeah, you about to get ready. You're getting ready, and then, and then all of a sudden, hey, I got some news, I got, you know, and I don't even know how long Mary sit, sat with this thing. But, hey, I'm about to get, you know, as we're about to get married, I got something to share with you. Hey, I'm pregnant. Yeah, what? But it's not, you know, I didn't cheat on you or anything. It's like that, like, God, the Holy Spirit, came and put a baby in me. How would that fly with you? Right? I mean, it probably wouldn't fly, but here he is, a righteous man who's confronted with this news, this, this news that he had, right? And so what does he do? Because, and again, all Joseph knows is his current reality. Right? And even though this story is all about him, but it's not about him. This story helps us to see the perspective that we're not always supposed to interpret God's will as if we're in the winner's circle. Because this story is not, even though Joseph is significant, this is not a story about Joseph. And so he comes in and we got to understand. So the question now becomes, okay, because the conflict is, that's conflict. This woman is telling me, that she's pregnant by God. All right? So there's conflict. So the rise in tension becomes, and so basically, Joseph is like, I don't know if I can, I'm not going to go through with this. Right? I'm not going to go through with this. So the question now becomes, will Joseph's protection of his perception keep him from accomplishing God's will? 
He spent the first 18 verses saying that this is to be. Now, Joseph obviously don't know this at this time, right? So let's continue on and let's look at Joseph's protection. The second point, right? Joseph's protection. It says, so her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man, right? So being a God-fearing, righteous man had not, and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. So Joseph did not have any ill intentions. He is being and proven to be the godly man that, that the Bible is saying that he is. He's just like, I don't want to defame you, but this whole God and bot like all like gave you a baby and all like, it's just too much for me. I don't want to put you out there like that. So let's just figure out a way where we can act like it just don't work. Let's say like I slipped and like, you know, I don't know what it's like. Even we can even use, it's not you, it's me. Like whatever you want to use, but we can't go through with this. But I'm not going to tell people, she told me she had, you know, I'm not going to tell people that story. Right. And so he says, let's find a way to get out where you look good. I look good because this right here, if this gets out, this is scandalous. This is scandalous, right? And so here we are. So any righteous man who's thinking about this is going to do exactly what he was planning on do because that was his perception and his perception is reality, right? So he says, so let me divorce you secretly, right? And then verse 20, but after he considered these things, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what, would has, what has been conceived in her is actually from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. See, all right, now the plot thickens. Right? The plot thinks we, we're at this kind of rising point. We're, we're trying to wonder or not whether Joseph's pursuit of, his pers- of righteousness and being a righteous man to do it the best way that he knows how is going to intercept or interrupt God's will, right? God's will of Jesus coming. And so now we're at this point. And then now in the midst of that, Joseph is encountered. Let me just ask you before, have you ever considered why God didn't give Joseph the same memo that he gave Mary? Before, why, why, like, why didn't he get the information in the same way Mary got the information, right? If you think about it, like Mary, Mary kind of like, she got like beforehand, hey, I'm going to, gonna, I'm going to do this thing and let me just, and so she had time to wrestle with it, time to think about it. Like she had time to kind of, um, you know, she was visited by an angel. She was declared this message. She had time to prepare for it. She had time to even process the information, think through it. And even before discussing it with Mary, again, we don't even know how long before, before we know that she was told beforehand, before she was even pregnant that she was, but Joseph doesn't even find out until after she's pregnant. So we do know that he, she was like, maybe this ain't true. I don't, you know, I don't know what the reason, but we, we're pregnant now. And I've been trying to hide it, but it's coming. The baby is coming, right? And so he has a, and so I, I always ask the question, like why didn't Joseph get the memo? Why didn't God tell him in the same way that he told Joseph? Okay, you may not have asked that question, but you may have asked it this way. You may have thought about the question in the sense of, like, you begin to wonder, why doesn't God tell me things what it seems like he tells people all the time? 
It seems like he's kind of always revealing God's will to other people, but it seems like to me, I always got to kind of experience when it already happened. Like, like, is, like is this is like this one of those, like, is it because of my spirituality? Is it because I need to press in more? Like, I don't know, but it just seems like God is speaking to others in clear ways that he's never speaking to me. He's just like, I just, I don't know. And begin, you begin to wrestle, you begin to wonder, but why can't God tell you things directly? Because it's not like God, I, like, I'll do your will, but I just want to know. Because sometimes I just don't know, I just don't know your will. You know, and, and so what we see, and oftentimes, and I really believe in this passage, is that part of it is, is that Joseph probably would have not, in the same way, went through with it if he would have known about it in the way. So he's just like, no, this is happening. And guess what? We will get through it. So here we are, we're at this point, we're at this boiling point, and Joseph is now confronted with the same angel of the Lord that was previously concerned um, months ago with Mary. And now they're facing this issue, right? And Joseph was told, your wife is pregnant. It is by the Holy Spirit. And, right, and basically, Joseph, not trying to avoid this scandal or even all of that, Joseph being, he just says, like, all right, right? And we're going to see that. But in that, he, the angel tells us, he says, Joseph, don't be afraid. And he gives us, take Mary as your wife, take responsibility of your son, and guess what? I want you to name him, right? And so in here, it's like he brings all of this in, in the midst of this tension. When, when we're asking the question, will Joseph's protection, and even pursuit of righteousness get in the way from accomplishing God's will. Will it, right? And I, you, know, you know how we do. We fight, right, and from kind of our will. Have anybody ever talked about, like, you know, the only thing you got is your name, so you got to protect your name kind of at all times? I remember, you know, for us, you know, my wife and I, we got married, you know, 21 years ago, and I remember in the first year of marriage, we were like literally months, three months into marriage. Three months into marriage, we were before the counselor, and we had two completely different vantage points of where our marriage was, what was going on. And we were just kind of arguing. I was just like, this ain't gonna work. We ain't gonna make it. And it's like three months in, I'm talking, you know, it's just like we have kind of this vantage point. And I remember the counselor kind of you know, sitting in, he's listening to Angie's perspective, and Angie's like, he's doing this wrong and this right, and I'm just like, she's doing this wrong, and I'm trying this, and, we, and we're both just missing one another. You know, different perspectives. The, the, the counselor puts his pen down, and he says, you know what your problem is? You need, to be a mar- you need to be around other married couples, because the stuff that you're going through is stuff that's common. Kind of match. And basically, in that, like, I remember leaving that, that he didn't alleviate, like, the problems that he had, but he gave us a different vantage point. You guys are going in to try to protect yourself when there's something, or protect your name, but there's something greater, much more greater. And that unity that you have between the two is so much more important than just simply protecting self-preservation or protecting your name. And that's what's going on basically in the same way. Joseph's protection uh, for whatever reasons, and we got to assume that his protections were for good reasons. Just the way he went about it. His protections encouraged us, right? That there is a passive nature of receiving God's will. That sometimes, that ultimately God's will is 
put upon us. And that it is in that that we, and when we understand that our protection is not just about our name coming out good in this, but it ultimately, we got to understand that, it's a, that there's something greater that God is doing. And this is the reason why James tells us, count it joy when you fall into these trials, knowing God is doing something. He's working something out in you. And so Joseph's protection encourages us to accept the impact of God's presence. It, it encourages us to accept this reality, right? And this is something that we are faced all the time because many of us, most of us in here, we are, you know, hey, I'm a born again believer in Jesus Christ. I'm a pastor of a church. I don't, I'm not one of those people who I go out and try to hide anything. I'm just like, hey, I'm a pastor. I'm a Christian. And I know that that's going to put me in a certain place and people, you know, but you know, a lot of us, we're just like, we're not trying to hide the fact that we're Christian, but there are certain times when we feel inconvenience by being a Christian, right? There's certain times that, you know, it's like we get that cringe factor. Like, it's all good when we're around other believers talking about Jesus and all that. But whenever we get around non-believers, we wonder, it's like, I wonder how they're going to accept this. I wonder, oh, is it going to, like, I don't do things that way. It's like, and you're like, do you still accept me? Do you still, like, I know I don't have that same opinion about what you have. And, you know, and we have, we begin to say, it's like, so sometimes, I know, no, we're not going to confess this, so I'll confess it for us. Sometimes, God's presence is an inconvenience to us. It's an inconvenience, right? I would rather go about it my way. I'd rather secretly go about it in a different way. But God was just like, no, this has got to be all out in the open and exposed, right? Because this is not just about protecting your name, but this is something greater. That we got to have different perspective. You know, it's when God's presence in our life don't allow us to cheat on that test or to cheat on that assignment. It's when God's presence in our life don't allow us to cuss out someone who cussed us out. It's when God's presence makes us to sometimes be perceived, oh, you're a Bible thumper like the rest of the Christians because you're always talking about the Bible and it don't take all that. It's when God's presence gives us those cringe moments that is like, God, like I am, I'm all for you. I'm all about pursuing you. My heart is right, but God, not now. Like I had a plan. I just wanted to be married and have a normal life. Like everyone, but now you put me in the middle of your scandal that you're doing. And now people are going to be looking at me different, thinking of me different, because I'm going to be going around saying, this is, this is my son, but it's not my son because... This is the Holy Spirit's son. Can we just keep that part? Right? And we begin to wrestle. We begin to wrestle with that. But what I love about this story is that as we look at both his perception and we look at his, you know, even his protection and how that protection allows us to accept God's will and specifically God's presence, it, he, then, he then tells us, that not only does that, it also gives us a pursuit, a pursuit that we have. Because even at the end of that, it says in verse 20, it says, but after you had considered these things, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus. 
This is a story about Jesus. Remember, our life is about Jesus. Because he will save his people. God saves. Yeshua. It's the idea that God saves. We will call him that God is presence is here. We are announcing it so that in, in the announcement, I want all of my people to know that God saves. And that's good news. And that's good news. Right. And so he's he's in here. He's wrestling with that. But then he was just like, oh, but still, can we do it another way? Verse 22. He comes. And we see his pursuit. And it says now, now. And I love kind of the timeline in it because it gives this sense of immediacy. It gives this sense of like he didn't wrestle with it for a time. He's just like, God, your way, thy will be done. And in the same way, it doesn't say it, but in the same way, Jesus towards the end is like, God, if there's any other way that we can do this kind of whole death thing, let's do it. But at the end, not my will, but your will be done. And in the same way, you see kind of Joseph, like he's like, ah, God, you already kind of saw my plan and how I would go about doing this. I don't want to hinder your will, but you kind of already see my plan. But then after the angel of the Lord, he has this encounter with Jesus. What does he say? Now, all this took place, why? To fulfill what was spoken to the Lord through the prophet. He says, let me tell you, when I say God saves, it's not about some ambiguous thing that when you die, that you know where you're going. That's not solely what this is about. He said, all this is about to talk about what was been spoken about through the prophets of old. Verse 23, he says, see, the virgin will become pregnant. I, I told you that this was happening. And give birth to a son. And they will name him Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Well, I thought he named him Jesus. Yeah, well, you see, understand this. Yes, his name is Jesus. But when people see him, it's God with us. It's the fact that it's that character. It's like you may have a, a name, a physical title that gives your name. But every time that you're with them, it's the aura. It's the essence of who you are that comes out. And then it's like when you come and you encounter with him, it's just like God has visited us. He is tabernacling among us. He is with us. That all of this sense of a need to belong and the need to matter and all of those things that it, has, it comes is when I'm with him, that he is the, the, uh, a physical representation of a sanctuary where I can come and I can experience God, that I no longer have to think or imagine about who God is because God has come down and he's made himself that I no longer have to wonder. This is a, a crazy claim. This claim is worse than or even greater than the claim that, uh, some, that a woman was impregnated by him. That God came down and became a man and he dwelt among us. That is the very essence of all of our faith is hinging on that if God did not come a man and tabernacle and live among us, live the life that we could not live, die the death that we deserve to die, then Paul says that all of our faith is in vain. That there is no kind of in between. He either is who he says he was, God, he is Lord, or he's a liar. He thought he was God or you know, he knew he wasn't God, but he thought he was God. Or he's a lunatic. He thought he was God, but he's not. If I told you I'm God, 
You wouldn't put it's like you wouldn't put me in all evil. You're not God, but you're a good teacher. You're not God, but you're a good prophet. You're not God. Like you wouldn't put me in any of those categories. You have to put me in one of the three. Either I am, I'm a liar, or I'm a lunatic. There's no in-between but for Jesus. And so he comes in and he makes this declaration. He says, God has spoken. The Lord has spoken. And guess what? All of that is about so that you can know that in this life and how hard this life is, you're not alone. This is all about I'm with you. I'm with you through the trials. I'm with you through the struggles. I'm with you through the temptations. I'm with you. I am present with you. So I understand, Joseph, that this is hard and there's a lot of different ways that we could have went about this, but I want you to know that I'm not going to necessarily alleviate the pain of the circumstances, but I'm going to be with you in the pain in the same way I was with the Hebrew boys, in the same way I was with Daniel, in the same way that I was with the prophets, in the same way I am with you. And that's good news for a world that's dark, for a world that's broken for a world that's tragic, that he's come to tabernacle with us. He's come to be with us. And so it's in that he says, all of this is so that we will know, we will proclaim Emmanuel. God is with us. And so it says, it says, so when Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had communicated him or commanded him, he married her, but he did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. And what I love about this is like, yeah, all right, now that you know, don't try to do a cover-up. Don't try to make it the best. I want you to stay. I want you to continue. Don't try to help my will come along. Don't try to make it more palatable for people to take. Don't try to do your thing so that more people can accept. He says, I can stand on my own. And he says, and I still don't want you. Like I want it to be known that I met her. I impregnated her. I, and that this son, even though is my son and who I'm well pleased. But guess what, Joseph? I still want you to take full responsibility. How do we say that? Why? I still want you to marry her and I want you to name him so that you're taking ownership. You're taking responsibility. You're not going to be passively giving away like, hey, this is, you know, this is God's thing over here. But, you know, I'm, I struggle with some of God's stuff. You know, I, just, you know I'm, I, I believe in him, but I struggle with, with all of it. And I was like, no, 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 no. You're going to take full ownership because you're going to marry this scandalous thing, this woman that's in this scandalous situation, and you're going to name that child, and you're going to take responsibility. And so here we see the passion. You know, we talk about passion oftentimes here. We say, what is passion? Passion is a willingness to endure the pain for something that's greater than the pain. He says, I, and he's calling him to do that. He's calling him to embrace all the uncomfortableness all the uncomfortable part, the parts about naming Jesus as the Savior, naming him Savior, naming him as Emmanuel, that God is with us. Like all of the uncomfortability that we have, he says, I want you to take it all fully and I want you to name it with specificity and I want you to not be kind of dating me. I want you to be married to me. 
And this is the, this is the request. So when we reflect on the Christmas season from Joseph's perspective, that here we are, this man as a passive participant, something that he didn't wish upon his life, something that he encountered, but something that he had to take full ownership and full responsibility. You know, and for many of us in here, that is our story. We were all kind of minding our own business, doing our own thing, trying to live our best life. And then we all had that but God moment. God encountered us. Many of us weren't even looking for God. But he encountered you. He sought us out. He looked for us. He came and he bestowed what we thought was a burden, which actually became a blessing. And then in that blessing that we have the ability to remind ourselves every Christmas season that God is with us and his presence brings about his salvation. It's a reminder that he saves, that he is with us. And it's our responsibility as we are reminded each and every day that we remember, we remember this about our God. Remember this about our Savior, you know, in this. And so that's my prayer. And my prayer is that for any of us in here that have encountered is that you would continue to pursue passionately, that you would renew your perspective daily, that you would remind yourself of your salvation regularly, and that you would ultimately pursue Christ passionately over and over and over again. God knows it's hard on your job. He knows it's hard on your school. He knows how crazy you may sound in your neighbor and to your neighbors. I know I embrace you, but guess what? There's only one way for salvation. And it's a reminder that I'm with you. So be encouraged in this Christmas season. This is not just the time just to give presents or to buy presents or to go broke. This is a time to remind ourselves that in the giving and the receivings of gifts, that the greatest gift that we've ever received was God becoming a man in Jesus. And that we are reminded of this gift. So we're going to take some time and we're going to end this with the time of communion. And what communion is, is communion is ultimately, it's a time in a space that we call it communion. We call it the Lord's table. We call it different things. But really what, that, what it is, is it's a time where we just, as believers, we get together and we remind ourselves of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And that we can begin to pass out the elements. And as we begin to pass, I want us to reflect about who Jesus is. And my prayer is that in this season that we can put the Christ back in Christmas. And I'm not talking about in kind of a generic and big picture way. I'm talking about in our way. That my prayer for myself, my prayer for you as a church, my prayer for us as, a, as Blueprint is that we would discover and find God's rest, that we would be restored to our salvation and that we would be replenished, replenished with God's presence. And that's our prayer. That's my prayer, that as a church in these hard seasons, in these hard times, we want you. 
Lord. We desire you. And so as the music plays, let's just spend some time reflecting on who God is specifically in this season. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.